Chapter Forty Two of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daisy Fifty Five. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Forty Two, The Great Winter. It must have snowed most wonderfully to have made that depth of covering in about eight hours, for one of Master Stickle's men, who had been out all the night, said that no snow began to fall until nearly midnight, and here it was, blocking up the doors, stopping the ways, and the watercourses, and making it very much worse to walk than in a salt pit newly used. However, we trudged along in a line, I first, and the other men after me, trying to keep my track, but finding legs and strength not up to it. Most of all, John Fry was groaning, certain that his time was come, and sending messages to his wife and blessings to his children. For all this time it was snowing harder than it ever had snowed before, so far as man might guess at it, and the leading depth of the sky came down like a mine turned upside down on us not that the flakes were so very large for i have seen much larger flakes in a shower of march while sowing peas but that there was no room between them neither any relaxing nor any change of direction watch like a good and faithful dog followed us very cheerfully leaping out of the depth which took him over his back and ears already even in the level places while in the drifts he might have snuck to any distance out of sight and never found his way up again however we helped him now and then especially through the gaps and gateways and so after a deal of floundering some laughter and a little swearing we came all safe to the lower meadow where most of our flock was hurtled. But before, there was no flock at all, none, I mean, to be seen anywhere. Only at one corner of the field, by the eastern end, where the snow drove in a great white billow as high as a barn and as broad as a house. This great drift was rolling and curling beneath a violent blast turfling and combing with rustling swirls and carved as in patterns of cornice where the grooving chisel of the wind swept round ever and again the tempest snatched little whiffs from the channel edges twirling them around and made them dance over the chime of the monster pile then let them lie like heron bones or the seams of sand where the tide has been and all the while from the smothering sky more and more fiercely at every blast came the pelting pitiless arrows winged with murky white and pointed with the barbs of frost but although for people who had no sheep the sight was a very fine one so far at least as the weather permitted any sight at all yet for us with our flock beneath it this great mount had but little charm watch began to scratch at once and to howl along the sides of it 
he knew that his charge was buried there and his business taken from him but we four men set to in earnest digging with all our might and main shoveling away at the great white pile and fetching it into the metal each man made for himself a cave scooping at the soft cold fluxed which slid upon him at every stroke and throwing it out behind him in piles of castled fancy at least we drove our tunnels in for we worked indeed for the lives of us and all converging towards the middle held our tools and listened the other men heard nothing at all or declared that they heard nothing being anxious now to abandon the matter because of the chill in their feet and knees but i said go if you choose all of you i will work it out by myself you pie crust and upon that they gripped their shovels being more or less of englishmen and the least drop of english blood is worth the best of any other when it comes to lasting out but before we begin again i laid my head well into the chamber and there i hear a faint maha coming through some ells of snow like a plaintive buried hope or at last appeal i shouted aloud to cheer him up for i knew what sheep it was to wit the most violent of all the weathers who had met me when i came home from london and been so glad to see me and then we all fell to again and very soon we hauled him out watch took charge of him at once with an air of the noblest patronage lying on his frozen fleece and licking all his face and feet to restore his warmth to him then figuring fighting tom jumped up at once and made a little butt at watch as if nothing had ever ailed him and then set off to a shallow place and looked for something to nibble on further in and close under the bank where they had huddled themselves for warmth we found all the rest of the poor sheep packed as closely as if they were in a great pie it was strange to observe how their vapour and breath and the moisture exuding from their wool had scooped as if it were a covered room for them lined with a ribbon of deep yellow snow also the churned snow beneath their feet was as yellow as gambol two or three of the weaker hoggets were dead from want of air and from pressure but more than three score were as lively as ever though cramped and stiff for a little while however shall us get em home john fry asked in great dismay when we had cleared about a dozen of them which we were forced to do very carefully so as not to fetch the roof down no manner a man and to drive em all through all the grit driftiness you see to this place john i replied as we leaned on our shovels a moment and the sheep came rubbing around us let no more of them out for the present they are better where to be watch here boy keep them watch came with his little scud of a tail cocked as sharply as duty and i set him at the narrow mouth of the great snow and tea all the sheep slid it away and got closer that the other sheep might be bitten first 
as the foolish things imagine whereas no good sheep-dog even so much as lips a sheep to turn it to then out of the outer sheep all now snowed and frizzled like a lawyer's wig i took the two finest and heaviest and with one beneath my right arm and the other beneath my left i went straight home to the upper sheppy and set them aside and fastened them sixty and six i took home in that way two at a time on each journey and the work grew harder and harder each time as the drifts of the snow were deepening no other man should meddle with them i was resolved to try my strength against the strength of the elements and try it i did ay and proved it a certain fierce delight burned in me as the struggle grew harder but rather would i die than yield and at last i finished it people talk of it to this day but none can tell what the labor was who have not felt that snow and wind of the sheep upon the mountain and the sheep upon the western farm and the cattle on the upper barrows scarcely one in ten was saved do what we would for them and this was not through any neglect now that our wits were shopping but from the pure impossibility of finding them at all that great snow never ceased a moment for three days and nights and then when all the earth was filled and the topmost hedges were unseen and the trees broke down with way wherever the wind had not lightened them a brilliant sun broke forth and showed the loss of all our customs all our house was quite snowed up except where we had purged away by dint of constant shoveling the kitchen was as dark and darker than the cider cellar and the long lines of furrow scallops ran even up to the chimney stacks several windows fell right inwards through the weight of the snow against them and the few that stood bulged in and bent like an old bruised lanthorn we were obliged to cook by candlelight we were forced to read by candlelight as for bacon we could not do it because the oven was too chilly and a load of faggots only brought a little wet down the sides of it when the sun burst forth at last upon that world of white what he brought was neither warmth nor cheer nor hope of softening only a clearer shaft of cold from the violent depths of sky long-drawn alleys of white haze seemed to lean towards him yet such as he could not come down with any warmth remaining broad white curtains of the frost fog looped around the lower sky on the verge of hill and valley and above the laden trees only round the sun himself and the spot of heaven he claimed clustered a bright purple-blue clear and calm and deep that night such a frost ensured as we had never dreamed of neither read in ancient books or histories of frost bisher 
the kettle by the fire froze and the crock upon the hearth cheeks many men were killed and cattle ridged in their head ropes then i heard that fearful sound which never i had heard before neither since have heard except during that same winter the sharp yet solemn sound of trees burst open by the frost blow our great walnut lost three branches and has been dying ever since though growing meanwhile as the soul does and the ancient oak at the cross was rent and many score of ash trees but why should i tell all this the people who have not seen it as i have will only make faces and disbelieve till such another frost comes which perhaps may never be this terrible weather kept tom Fagus from coming near our house for weeks at which indeed i was not vexed a quarter so much as annie was for i had never half approved of him as a husband for my sister in spite of his purchase from squire bassett and the grant of the royal pardon it may be however that annie took the same view of my love for lorna and could not argue well of it but if so she held a peace though i was not so sparing for many things contributed to make me less good-humoured now that my real nature was and the very least of all these things would have been enough to make some people cross and rude and fractitious i mean the red and painful clapping of my face and hands from working in the snow all day and lying in the frost all night for being of a fair complexion and a ruddy nature and pretty plump withal and fed on plenty of hot victuals and always forced by my mother to sit near the fire than i wished it was wonderful to see how the cold ran revel on my cheeks and knuckles and i feared that lorna if it should ever please god to stop the snowing might take this for a proof of low and rustic blood and breeding and this i say was the smallest thing for it was far more serious that we were losing half our stock do all we would to shelter them even the horses in the stable mustered all together for the sake of breath and steaming had long icicles from their muscles almost every morning but of all the things the very gravest to my apprehension was the impossibility of hearing or having any token of or from my loved one not that those three days alone of snow tremendous as it was could have blocked the country so but that the sky had never ceased for more than two days at a time for four three weeks thereafter to pour fresh piles of fleecy mantle neither had the wind relaxed a single day from shaking them as a rule it snowed all day cleared up at night and froze intensely with the stars as bright as jewels earth spread out in luxurious twilight and the sounds in the air as sharp and crackling as artillery then in the morning snow again before the sun could come to help 
it mattered not what way the wind was often and often the vanes went round and we hoped for change of weather the only change was that it seemed if possible to grow colder indeed after a week or so the wind would regularly box the compass as the sailors call it in the course of every day following where the sun should be as if to make a mark of him and this of course immensely added to the peril of the drifts because they shifted every day and no skill or care might learn them i believe it was on infamy morning or somewhere about that period when lizzie ran into the kitchen to me where i was thawing my goose geese with the dogs among the ashes the live dogs i mean not the iron ones for them we had given up long ago and having caught me by way of wander for generally i was out shoveling long before my young lady had her nightcap off she positively kissed me for the sake of warming her lips perhaps or because she had something proud to say you great fool john said my lady as annie and i used to call her on account of her airs and graces what a pity you never read john much use i should think in reading i answered though please with her condensation read i suppose with a roof coming in and only this chimney left sticking out of the snow the very time to read john said lizzie looking grander our worst troubles are the need whence knowledge can deliver us amen i cried out are you parson or clerk whichever you are good morning thereupon it was bent on my usual round a very small one nowadays but eliza took me with both hands and i stopped of course for i could not bear to shake the child even in play for a moment because her back was tender then she looked up at me with her beautiful eyes so large unhealthy and delicate and strangely shallowing outward as if to spread their meaning and she said now john this is no time to joke i almost froze in bed last night and ain't it like an icicle feel how cold my hands are now will you listen to what i have read about climates ten times worse than this and where none but clever men can live impossible for me to listen now i have hundreds of things to see to but i will listen after breakfast to your foreign climates child now attend the mother's hot coffee she looked a little disappointed but she knew what i had to do and after all she was not so utterly unreasonable although she did read books and when i had done my morning's work i listened to her patiently and it was out of my power to think that all she said was foolish for i knew common sense pretty well by this time whether it happened to be my own or any other person's if clearly laid before me and lizzie had a particular way of setting forth very clearly whatever she wished to express and enforce but the queerest part of it all was this that if she could but have dreamed for a moment 
what would be the first application made me by her lesson she would rather have bitten her tongue off than help me to my purpose she told me that in the arctic regions as they call some places a long way north where the great bear lies all across the heavens and no sun is up for whole months at a time and yet where people will go exploring out of pure contradiction and for the sake of novelty and love of being frozen that here they always had such winters as we were having now it never ceased to freeze she said and it never ceased to snow except when it was too cold and then all the air was choked with glittering spikes and a man's skin might come off of him before he could ask the reason nevertheless the people there although the snow was fifty feet deep and all their breath fell behind them frozen like a log of wood dropped from their shoulders yet they managed to get along and make the time of the year to each other by a little cleverness for seeing how the snow was spread lightly over everything covering up the hills and valleys and the foreskin of the sea they contrived a way to crown it and to glide like a flake along through the sparkle of the whiteness and the weefs of winds tossings and the ups and downs of cold any man might get along with a boat on either foot to prevent his sinking she told me how these boats were made very strong and very light of ribs with skin across them five feet long and one foot wide and turned up at each end even as a canoe is but she did not tell me nor did i give it a moment's thought myself how hard it was to walk upon them without early practice then she told me another thing equally useful to me although i would not let her see how much i thought about it and this concerned the use of sledges and their power of gliding and the lightness of their following all of which i could see at once through knowledge of our own farm sleds which we employ in lieu of wheels used in flatter districts when i had heard all this from her a mere chit of a girl as she was unfit to make a snowball even or to fry snow pancakes i looked down on her with amazement and began to wish a little that i had given more time to books but god shapes all our fitness and gives each man his meaning even as he guides the wavering lines of snow descending our eliza was meant for books our dear annie for loving and cooking i john reed for sheep and wrestling and the thought of lorna and mother to love all three of us and to make the best of her children and now if i must tell the truth as at every page i try to do though god knows it is hard enough i have felt through all this weather through my life was lorna's something of a satisfaction in doing duty to my kindness and best of mothers and to none but her for if you come to think of it a man's young love is very pleasant 
very sweet and tickling, and takes him through the core of heart, without his knowing how or why. Then he dwells upon it sideways, without people looking, and builds up all sorts of fancies, grown hot with working so at his own imaginations. So his love is a crystal goddess, set upon an oblique, and whoever will not bow the knee, yet without glancing at her, the lover makes it a sacred right either to kick or to stick him. I am not speaking of me and Lorna, but of common people. Then, if you come to think of it again, lo, or, I will not say lo, for no one can behold it, only feel, or but remember what a real mother is, ever loving, ever soft, ever turning sin to goodness, vices into virtues, blind to all nine-tenths of wrong, through a telescope beholding, though herself so nigh to them, faintest decimal of promise, even in her vilest child, ready to thank God again, as when her babe was born to her, leaping, as at kingdom come, at a wandering syllable of gospel for her lost one. All this our mother was to us, and even more than all of this, and hence I felt a pride and joy in doing my sacred duty towards her, now that the weather compelled me, and she was as grateful and delighted as if she had no more claim upon me than a stranger's sheep might have. Yet from time to time I groaned, within myself and by myself, at thinking of my sad debarment from the sight of Lorna, and of all that might have happened to her. Now she had no protection. Therefore I fell to at once, upon that hint from Lizzie, and being used to thatching work, in the making of traps, and so on, before very long I built myself a pair of strong and light snowshoes, framed with ash and ribbed with withy, with half-tanned calf-skin scratched across, and inner sole to support my feet. At first... I could not walk at all, but flounder about most piteously, catching one shoe in the other, and both of them in the snowdrifts, to the great amusement of the girls, who were come to look at me. But after a while I grew more expert, discovering what my errors were, and altering the inclination of the shoes themselves, according to a print which Lizzie found in a book of adventures. And this made such a difference that I crossed the farmyard and came back again, though turning was the worst thing of all, without so much as falling once or getting my staff entangled. But, oh, the aching of my ankles when I went to bed that night. I was forced to help myself upstairs with a couple of mop-sticks and I rubbed the joints with neat's foot oil, which comforted them greatly. And likely, though, I would have abandoned any further trial, 
but for Lizzie's ridicule and pretended sympathy, asking if the strong John Ridd would have old Betty to lean upon. Therefore I set to again with a fixed resolve not to notice pain or stiffness, but to warm them out of me. And sure enough, before dark that day, I could get along pretty freely, especially improving every time after leaving off and resting. The astonishment of poor John Fry, Bill Dads, and Jim Slocum when they saw me coming down the hill upon them in the twilight where they were clearing the furzy rick and trussling it for cattle was more than I can tell you because they did not let me see it but ran away with one accord and floundered into a snowdrift. They believed, and so did everyone else, especially when I grew able to glide along pretty rapidly, that I had stolen Mother Meldrum's sleeves on which she was said to fly over the foreland at midnight every Saturday. Upon the following day, I held some counsel with my mother, not liking to go without her permission, yet scarcely daring to ask for it. But here she disappointed me, on the right side of disappointment, saying that she had seen my pining, which she never could have done, because I had been too hard at work, and rather than watch me grieving so for somebody or other, who now was all in all to me, I might go upon my course, and God's protection go with me. At this I was amazed, because it was not at all like mother, and knowing how well I had behaved, ever since the time of our snowing up, I was a little moved to tell her that she could not understand me. However, my sense of duty kept me, and my knowledge of the catechism from saying such a thing as that, or even thinking twice of it. And so I took her at her word, which she was not prepared for, and telling her how proud I was of her trust in Providence, and how I could run in my new snowshoes. I took a short pipe in my mouth, and started forth accordingly. End of chapter 42 Recording by Daisy 55